Mobbing in the Bentley, smoking more hey. rocks. Hey. Pocket full of motherfucking blue. Guap. Half an ounce in my Gucci too. Socks. For the summertime, got a new truck. Trapper slash rapper slash bad bitch. Snatching. Come here. Baby mama mad. She said you live like a bachelor. So what? Sold a hundred pounds and gave 10% to the pastor. Church. Keep going up the ladder. Hey. They mad, make them matter. Hey. Told my son when I'm gone, you gon' be a rich little bastard. Hey. Corners on me hitting. <laughs> leave a bitch dizzy. All my old bitches feeling salty. Yeah, yeah. MID, I'm talking about why you dog me. Yeah, yeah. But I still miss you. Can you call me? Yeah, I heard ain't shit changed that you still balling. Yeah, yeah. She used to bust her scripts for me at Walgreens. Smuggling narcotics was my calling. Hey, hey. Foes on the Mercedes, that's major. Whole gang going crazy, that's major. Millions on the table, that's major. I turn dirt into diamonds, that's major. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? We back again with another episode of the Three Man Weave Podcast. We got a special edition here for you with a special special guest. But first, as always, I am one third of Three Man Weave, your least favorite guy, AJL Presidente. And right now, I got with me, as always, your favorite. It's your boy Cannon. I'm in here in the building, and I'm super excited about this episode today. Um, we gonna have Hill, the other third of the three man weave. He gonna pull up a little bit later, uh, but we good to go. And so, um, let us know why this episode is so important to you, Kenny. Well, this episode is super important to me because we got a special guest and a super super talented special guest at that. Now, I've known this guy for at least seven or eight years, and I'm gonna just say we got recently turned pro boxer, professional boxer, Jalil Major Hackett in the building. Jalil, how y'all doing? introduce yourself. Uh, how y'all doing, man? How y'all doing? I'm Jalil Major Hackett. Signed with Mayweather Promotions recently. Uh, 17 years old. Mm. Where are you 17 from? 17 years old. Where are you oh, from? So, so, oh, say it again. I can hear you. I said, where you from? Oh, Washington D.C., Southeast Washington D.C. Okay, you gotta let you gotta let them know Southeast is in the building. Don't don't hide that. Let them know where you. Oh no, definitely all the, all the time, all the time. They know, they know when they hear Jaleo Major Hackett, they know that's Southeast D.C. That's major. All day, all day. Now, Jaleo, what we try to do here on the Three Man Weave podcast, we try to change the narrative, man. We try to dig a little bit deeper um, than than the surface level that most uh sports reporting news does you know they try to stay surface level we like to dig deep um so the first thing that i want to ask you today is you already said that you grew up in dc we know there's so many pitfalls for young men in dc how have you been able to keep your head on the swivel and just stay the course to be able to turn pro at 16 and i think that's the youngest pro in, a, in usa history correct me if i'm wrong um, youngest to turn pro in America with a major promotional company. Wow. Wow. So wow. let me, let me ask you this, being the youngest to turn pro with a major promotion company, um, 
going to just keep it real with you. I'm from Cincinnati. So I've seen some boxers from Cincinnati turn pro, get off track, and just become, you know, a bunch of woulda, coulda, they have potential. How, you know, being so young, do you think you're actually going to be able to, you know, stay focused and driven, especially, you know, being with, you know, such a large promoter promotion company, being under the wing of, you know, one of the flashiest, the, you know, the TBE, the best ever, you know, as they say, you know, how are you going to stay motivated and keep your head on straight? What do you, like, what drives you to stay motivated? Um, I feel like the thing that, that drives me to keep me most motivated is, the fact that I have a plan, not only as a fighter, but as a person after boxing. Mm. And also, it takes a village. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, that that end up falling off the map or they, they fall off track of what they were supposed to be doing is because they're doing it almost all by themselves. You know, I got I got a family. You know, mm -hmm. most people don't have a mother and father. They don't got a mother and father household. I got a mother, father. Stepmother, stepfather, I got, I got the whole nine yards. It take, it, it really takes a village. So yeah, I think that's what's, that's Man. what's gonna keep me on track. I definitely respect it, and you know, you know, what's funny, Jalil is, I don't like a lot of people just talk. That's not talk because when I, I first met Jalil, I want to say it might have been 2012 or 2013. He told me, and he, he, it was either fourth or fifth grade. He told me, he said. Mr. Cannon, I'm gonna be a professional boxer. And I'm I'm like, yo, that's lofty goals. Like, cause I was a diehard boxer fan, but it's like, he literally put the work in, not just in boxing. Jalil was an outstanding student when he he went to the school where I worked at during that time. Um, what type of advice could you give for a young black male coming up in, in America period? I was gonna say in Washington DC, but in America period on just, how to keep your head on a swivel. I know you said the family thing take is very important, but eventually you get out there by yourself and you you got to make choices, right? So yeah. what advice could you give to a young black male? Um, I would tell him, man, you know, if if you have those people around you, you know, keep them there, even if they're not telling you every single thing to do, always keep somebody that's willing to give you good advice. And I'm not saying keep a lot of yes men around because those are the worst people you can have around you. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, they're just, they're just around to tell you what you want to hear. I feel like the, in order to succeed or for a young black man in this country to succeed, he got to be able to, he got to be willing to, number one, he got to be willing to take risks. Number two, he got to bet on himself all the time. He, if he's not willing yeah. to bet on himself, he shouldn't, shouldn't be doing whatever he's doing. And number three, always make sure you think hard and long about the decisions that you're making because they can be life-changing. Let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Jaleel. How familiar are, are you with just the boxing landscape, you know, as a whole? You know, do you pay attention to a lot of other fighters or is it more like, you know, who's next up? Who's next on, on the menu for you? Or do you actually look at the landscape? I'm, I'm very familiar as far as, you know, around my weight, the welterweights, the, the junior welterweights, the super welterweights, the middleweights and stuff like that. I'm very familiar with that. So let me ask you this. Um, okay. So we, we've had some, we, we, especially Canada and I, but uh, Hill, he's not on right now, but we've all had some discussions on boxing and we, we all have our different, you know, mindsets and, and quirks. But what I want to ask you right now, who do you think is the pound for pound 
best boxer uh, in the game right now that's active? Because I know you with Mayweather, but I want to know who who's active. Do you think is pound for pound? Um, it's actually a, it's actually a three way tie. Um, okay. It's be, it's between Canelo Alvarez, mm-hmm. Terrence Crawford, and Earl Spence. Okay. Can't okay. argue with that, man. Yeah, I can't, can't I can't I can't argue with that at all. So, you know, that's definitely a good list. Um, and so, you know, like you said, you keep an eye on, you know, kind of that the the weight classes that, that you're around. So with Errol Spence, you know, taking this fight with Danny Garcia, you think that was a mistake by Danny? You think he should have uh Tried to get back in the ring with a little, uh, you know, a little get back fight first. Um, honestly, I think that you know, with Danny being an older pro, you know, he's been in the pro game for a while now. He's mm-hmm. captured titles at multiple division. I think he's looking, he's looking for that that payday, that goodbye payday, because absolutely, you know, with Danny being a smart guy, not only a smart fighter but a smart human being, you know, he he invested his money the correct the correct way buying mm-hmm. shopping centers in his hometown mm-hmm. of Philadelphia uh, and, and making, where, making it where the money, even after he retires from boxing, the money makes itself. So, yeah. yeah, he's looking for that final, like, I guess, in my opinion, I think he's looking for that, that goodbye fight. Yeah, I actually, I actually never thought of it like that, you know, of him you know, looking for that goodbye fight because it's almost like I'm so used to now seeing boxes where it's almost like they just – hanging on as long as somebody keep, you know, bringing them on to get that check. They do it. Yeah, honestly, in boxing, the way it's looking now, you know, especially with us in the near coming future in September, I think it's September, yeah, we're going to see Roy Jones and Mike Tyson in the ring together. It's no Can't such wait. thing as goodbye in boxing. Absolutely. <laughs> and see, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to I wanted to ask you about <laughs> that fight. See, because I, I know you're young, so you – you didn't really get to witness, you know, the events of your parents throwing that fight party to watch Tyson fight or your parents throwing that fight party to watch uh, Roy Jones Jr. fight. But have you seen Tyson on Instagram? And have you seen those Roy Jones clips on Instagram? And how do you think it's really going to fare with these two 50-plus fighters? Um, I feel like it should be a a rather interesting fight because, you know, mm-hmm. in the boxing world, they always say the last thing you lose is your punching power. And mm-hmm. Mike Tyson was, he was known for, for knocking people out, that punching power. Where on the other hand, we got a guy like Roy Jones. He was a flashy, super fast guy. And the first thing you lose is your speed and reflex. And man, so it's, it's it, it should be interesting to see how Roy Jones comes comes at the fight. See how if he fights any different, or see if Mike Tyson, you know, draws the fight out, lets the fight go to distance for the fans. We we should we'll we'll see in September. I'm actually I'm actually scared for Roy because of exactly what you said, Jaleel, about the reflexes. And uh, I think back to Roy's last few fights, man. He got caught, and then he got caught by some guys who weren't known for like power and his. Like some of those, that that Glenn that Glenn Johnson knockout was bad to me, um, but another thing that I wanted to ask you, man, you have one of the most extensive amateur records that I've ever seen, um, 100 plus fights, um, 19 L's. So what I wanted to ask you about, out of those 19 L's, what was, what was the toughest amateur opponent that you had, 
And do you see that opponent making an impact in a professional game? Um, out of my most recent fights, honestly, the toughest amateur bout I've been in was with a guy from Bakersfield, California, Joel Arreta. He's actually another top-rated guy. He's he's thinking about turning pro soon. And yeah, I, I feel like he he was a great he was a great fighter. And um, we fought twice. The first time he got the win. The second time, I thought I I thought I edged it out, but he got the win in the second fight as well. And both times we fought, it was in the um, USA National Championships to see who would be on the, the U.S. team and who would be the alternate. Both times I ended up being the alternate, but, you know, it's cool. And, yeah, I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing him in the pros because, you know. That's what I was about to ask. That's what I want to hear. That will be a great fight in the future. Yeah, so, definitely. So, with, with that being said, you know, him being on your list and, you know, you weren't able to necessarily – edge him out in that second fight, you know, even though you felt that you, you came away with that win. What's some of the biggest lessons learned with so, so many, uh, you know, so many rounds that you've, you know, accumulated in the amateurs? What's the biggest lesson that you're taking with you to the pros now? Um, the, the biggest lesson I'm taking to the pros, like learning from the amateurs, is you got to have the ability to adapt. If you can't adapt, you're not going to go far in this sport. And that's not only as a pro, even in the amateurs. When you get to the, the higher ranks in the amateurs fighting in these international tournaments and, and things like that, these, these are guys that have completely different styles from the American fighters. Like going over a, across the water, you know, hungry and stuff like that, those guys sport nothing like the guys I'm used to seeing here. Like, you know, the most similar style to – their style here is, you know, the guys in Cincinnati, the guys that, you know, they box, they counterpunch. But even then, those are like slick counterpunches over in Europe, in those European countries, and even some of the Asian fighters, they're like long, you know, everything is straight punches. Those are, that's their style of fight. So, yeah, the, the one main thing I'm taking from amateurs to pros is the ability to adapt. If you can't adapt, you won't win. And I think that applies to life, not even just, not even just sport. Um, but I also know that you, um, you've been getting some work in, even when you were an amateur before you went pro, you was getting some work in um, with pros. I know you got some work in with um, Javante Tank Davis, um, Gary Russell. Um, what's the biggest thing that you learned when you was an amateur from, a, from getting work from a pro? Um, the biggest thing I learned was professionalism number one that was the biggest thing I learned you know um especially from Floyd Mayweather not actually like sparring with him but being around him he was he was mm -hmm. telling me like I know this this boxing thing may be fun you consider like this is what you really want to do but when you turn pro this this is no longer fun anymore this is your job mm -hmm. so when you when you go in the gym you know you training you tuck your shirt in when you train. You know, you tie your shoes up correctly. You don't leave yeah. your shoelaces hanging all out. You know, you it, it's certain things you do. You show up on time to the gym. You complete your workouts. You you do everything as if, you know, because this is your job. Man. 
I think once again, I think that applies to whole life, not not even just sport. Like there's so many people that I've came across professionally who don't take their job or their professionalism serious, and and it shows so much. Man, that's one thing that I've been super proud of you about. Um, I feel like you've been professional, you know, since we did WATA. A lot of people won't know what that means, but you know what that is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like the professionalism been there, which is why you were a part of that group and so many other students were not able to be a part of that group. Um, so it's just like, man. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you I, um, is about your father being in your camp. Do What do you think about that? What do you think about the father-son dynamic in boxing? Um, I feel like that's that father-son duo it can it's it's really hit or miss. I feel like mm-hmm. it can be either really really good or it can be really really bad. I feel like most of the time when we see these father son relationships, like Floyd Mayweather and his dad, Danny Garcia and his dad, uh, Roy Jones and his dad, you know, even though they started off a little rocky, uh, a lot of these relationships, you know, we look at them as oh, that's his dad, that's his trainer. Man, they, mm-hmm. they they in sync. But it's something about them. Like, it's like me and my dad, for instance, even though that's my trainer, it's like we do everything together. So it's mm-hmm. like if, you, if you're around someone long enough, it's like y'all start to become like one person. We'll be like, for example, if I'm, if I'm fighting, especially in the amateurs when I used to be fighting, he'll be talking after he sees me do something. He'll be like, I know you're saying that. And I'll be like, yeah, I seen it. And other people, they may see one thing, but me and him are on the same page. And when I throw it, he'd be like, there you go, there you go. I see. It's like we're we're in sync. And yeah, that that father son that father son dynamic is it, it's very good when when it's done the correct way. Have you have have you and your father discussed you know him possibly being your coach? Are you maybe you know? being open to getting the coach down the line. Cause once again, we've seen plenty, you know, uh, you know, the father, son, you know, trainer, fighter combos, but also as you know, their career progressed, sometimes you want to get another ear. I mean, another voice in your ear. Sometimes you want to get uh, a different perspective, you know, and I, I 100%, you know, I've kind of, you know, followed you a little bit through Canon and started, you know, to understand the father, son dynamic that you have with your father. But, you know, as you progress in your career, um, or is that someone that you want to go throughout your whole career with, um, you know, in your corner as that main voice as your trainer, or is it something that, you know, you guys will, you know, discuss as your career progresses? Um, and, and if you didn't know, I fought my last amateur fight in 2018, in the beginning of 2018. And even prior to that, you know, 2017 and even the end of 2016, for real. I started to look, me and my dad was like, man, we got to have a second because you never know. I could not be here any day. Right. So you got to develop a second. And he was like, he was saying, it's no other, he said in his opinion, it was no other greater second than, you know, my, the person who's my now second assistant trainer, Andrew Council. Okay. If you're not familiar with Andrew Council, Andrew Council, he was a boxer, mm-hmm. former, uh, Middleweight contender, you know he fought. He had fights with Buddy McGirt, my guy Buddy, yeah, and mm-hmm. many other great fighters. You know he he's been in there with Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. 
and he went to work. So, yeah, me and, me and Drew, we're really in sync. If you've seen any any videos I put up every here and there, you'll see me and Drew working the mitts or something like that. But, yeah, it, that was really, like, a, a thought. I was like, yeah, I definitely do need to get a second in my life. And as good. far as the fighter, because it's been times, you know, before my amateur career ended where my dad wasn't able to make it to a fight for whatever reason. And Andrew was already there. He was like, man, I can I can work the corner. And mm. everything went, went just fine. Absolutely. So uh, another D Hill and I, we've been having a debate. He doesn't believe that a liver punch is as vicious as, as it really is. What would be more satisfying for you? Knocking someone out, you know, traditionally, you know, straight to the chin, or knocking somebody out with that liver shot, seeing them roll around on the ground in pain? Um, me personally, it would have to be the liver shot, the liver shot because, you know, I'm I'm known and I feel like I've made my reputation off of body punching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I feel like body punching is is the most important thing in boxing, other than your jab. You yep. Know, mm -hmm. the, the jab is the key to everything, but touching the body, I feel like touching the body sets up those big headshots. You see, mm -hmm. in these, in, especially in the professional ranks, you know, when you're when you're at the world championship level and these are twelve round fights, mm -hmm. you, you work the guy's body for seven or eight rounds. When you get in those hand rounds, the tenth and eleventh round, those hands are now. They coming down to protect the body, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they slowing down. They're not moving around the ring as much, and now you have the ability to touch their body a little bit more to set up those headshots, and that can be the deciding factor in the fight. And do you think do you think having such you know skilled body punches is uh, attributed to your uh, you know your large amateur background? Because I know that's that's one thing that I've always learned. A lot of people who a lot of fighters who have you know. Uh, an extensive amateur background, they, sense, they tend to understand the importance of working to the body because, you know, you have those, those closed matches with the headgear on. And so point, pointing to the body is so important in an amateur round. Is that something that you would attribute to, you know, really sticking to the amateur game uh, before turning, to, turning pro? Um, partially. Mm -hmm. But um, I, would, I would give most of the credit for me going to the body the most, I would have to give it to my dad because okay. as an amateur, even as a young fighter, he always told me, you know, invest in going to the body, invest in going to the body. The, the body is the most important. That's the most important place to hit a man in a fight because at the end of the day, number one, you it's some people, you know, just, at, just like we have people in the pro game that have world-class speed, mm -hmm. world-class punching power, you got pros that have world-class chins. Mm -hmm. And they That's can a take a shot. They can take a shot that most people can't take. But you can do 100 million sit-ups. You can do however many <laughs> sit-ups, crunches, however. There's no workout that can, can strengthen up that liver. That <laughs> liver will never, it will never gain, like, any muscle or ability mm -hmm. to withstand a certain amount of body shots. Absolutely. So, uh, but one thing, real quick, AJ, one thing that I noticed, because we're speaking about body shots, I, I watch a lot of footage of you on YouTube, man. And just recently, I was watching, the, uh, I think a couple weeks ago, I was watching the documentary that they got out on you. Um, and just watching you hit that heavy bag, man. I'm, I'm like, I'm looking at, 
I'm looking at your shoulder down, all the way down to your wrist. And I'm like, yo, Jalil is straight solid. You really looking like you ready for 140, man. And it's like, how, because you, you, you would agree that you're a small frame guy, right? Um, I guess you could say that. I feel like actually this Corona, it's crazy how this height has kind of came out of nowhere. Before Corona, I was, I went to the doctor. I was five, eight. Mm. I was five, eight on the nose or might even been five, seven and three quarters. Um, but after, you know, especially recently, you know, turning 17, I, I checked my height again. I'm actually five, ten and a half now. Mm. So, Wow. So it's like, man, it went from me being, you know, I would go in, I would step into the ring around the same size of these guys at 140 and 147. Now I'm a little bit bigger than the average guy at those weight classes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel like the pro game should be interesting now. Yeah, but that's a, that's a perk. That's a perk of being, you know, uh, the age that you are, because you still you're still growing, you're still getting that height, you're still hitting those growth spurts, and as you're still working out, you're gonna learn to not only carry your weight, but you're gonna learn learn to utilize your frame more as you're growing, and so I think that's that's gonna be a positive for you, you know, as you grow, um, you know, you've seen a lot of you know larger fighters in in, in certain weight classes. Um, be able to not only use their length of it as advantage, but they can they still can carry their weight because they have been used to fighting on the inside and unloading those punches. So I think that's something that that's that's really good to hear, man, and and, and embrace that. And you know, as you as you get older, with that height, that's going to give you some leverage too to kind of you know really go get the fights that you want because you could put on the weight because your frame can carry that and you won't lose any speed and you won't lose any power. Yeah, definitely. Um, another thing that I noticed, Jalil, is um, when you and your dad worked the mitts, man, I was, it's just, one, you know that everybody, they work the mitts, it's all about the speed, you feel me? But it's like, I see you working the mitts, and it's more crisp, I see more crispness than speed, but it's like, then I watch your fights, and I still see the speed, so how are you able to work the mitts, not going for speed, but able to still have the speed when you get in the ring? What's the secret? I feel like when me and my dad worked the mitts, it's more so perfecting technique. When mm-hmm. you see these guys on the mitts when they when they doing these hundred punch combinations and stuff like that, it it looks good, but you're not gonna do that in the fight. Never. I feel like when we when me and my dad are working mitts, we're doing things that like you can see yourself doing this in the fight. And I feel like there are guys in the boxing world that will do the mitts and run off 20-punch combinations, and then they'll get in the fight and do the same thing. You got guys like Amir Khan, Gary Russell mm-hmm. Jr., Gary Antonio Russell, mm-hmm. you know, just, to, just to name a few. Those are, those are the guys that, you know, you'll see them, you'll see them doing, doing these type of things on the mitts and then they'll go into a fight and do the same thing. Where you'll see other guys like, well, no, maybe I can even add Floyd, honestly. When you yeah. see Floyd absolutely, constantly absolutely. touching on the mitts, he's not running off punches at 1,000 miles an hour. He's consistently touching, consistently mm-hmm. touching and touching. People say, man, Floyd be running. 
man, you see Floyd do the mitts. Floyd, you know, he takes steps, steps backwards. He pivots, he mm -hmm. turns, catches, and every every catch or every slip or roll, everything is followed up by a punch. And when you go and watch a fight, he does the same exact thing. And th so, that's what Floyd's biggest uh, move is the pull counter. He's just going, you know, just get out of your reach, and he's going to fire one right back down the pipe. And so, you know, it's not necessarily running. It's just a defensive style of fighting. And we've seen that plenty of, you know, from, from that style. But as far as boxing style today, who would you think that, you know, you kind of see a lot of yourself in that's an active fighter now as far as, you know, your boxing style and, um, you know, for people when they see, like when they start to see your fights, uh, who can like, who would they closely compare you to in your mind? Um, a lot of people say either Earl Spence or Gennady Golovkin. Ooh, okay. Because those are, those are two fighters that are, that are relatively aggressive and they, they tend to go to the body a lot. Mm-hmm. So those are the two ones that I get. Listen, if you go into the box, I've, I've seen both of them, you know, throw some savage body shots. So if you keep that up, man, and, and you're going to be a problem telling you that much. Um, but to, to transition a little bit, the NBA just started up, you know, we got, got them down in the bubble. Do you follow the NBA much? Um, say it again, it, it broke up a little. Oh, yeah. I was just saying, you know, to transition uh, a little bit, um, the NBA, they just hit their restart and, uh, you know, they're down there in Orlando in the bubble. Wanted to see if you followed the NBA much. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I, I'm, I'm starting to see, you know, a lot of the players, you know, when they had their little scrimmage games or their warm-up games, they started a little slow. But a lot of them are picking it up and they're back in the full stride. And... I like the way the NBA is doing it. You know, they they letting the they letting the players play, but they are keeping it safe as well. Absolutely. So who who you got to uh, bring home the chip this year? Um, me me personally, uh, I want Houston to win it because I'm I'm a James Harden fan, but it's looking like based on the way the teams have been playing, it's looking like it'll either be L.A. Either LA, the Lakers or the Clippers, versus um, the Bucks, and mm -hmm. the best team will win. That that series will definitely go seven games. Absolutely, I agree one hundred percent. Man, so you see how the NBA is handling the Corona, and we know you're busy, Jaleel. So we're gonna try to get you out of here soon. We appreciate you showing up, but um, you see how the NBA is handling the Corona. You see how the MLB is handling the Corona. Um, what do you think other sports, including boxing, can take from how the NBA has handled it and been able to actually have games with, I don't think, any negative tests so far with the players that have been in the bubble? Um, I think what they can do is they can try and, I'm not saying do the same exact thing, but take a similar route. I feel like a lot of a lot of the situation with boxing, especially recently, actually yesterday, we had guys coming in last minute to fight because the 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 commissioners for the uh, boxing for the whole event, they're waiting until the week of the fight to get these guys tested for the mm -hmm. virus. 
And when these guys come back with po- they come back with positive tests, and it's like, oh man, you can't fight. You can't come because boxing actually has their own bubble in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, you can't come into our bubble because you have the virus. Now mm-hmm. we're in a situation where it's like, oh man, we got to call a last minute guy, and we we don't get the same caliber of fight as fans right. because this guy came in last minute, and now. Absolutely. We got one guy just dominating this other last minute dude. I feel like what they can do to make it better is, you know, a month in advance, get the guy tested. If they test positives, you know, reschedule or have mm-hmm. them do, have them do a one week quarantine mm-hmm. and see if they can take the test again. And I guess, you know, do a, a weekly test a month prior to the fight, you know. The the three three or four weeks before the fight, just have them test once or twice a week to make yeah. sure. Do you think that it would be an issue with creating just a, a bubble for especially major fights? Do you think it will be an issue with that, with so many different governing bodies uh, in boxing? So, you know, with the WBC, IBO, WBF, and all of them, you know, trying to you know, push their belt, push their federation up. Do you think having a bubble with certain, you know, top-notch fighters would be difficult? Um, yes. Um, only reason it would be difficult is because you have a lot of top-notch guys, you know, with belts. And, you know, you may have one guy who has the WBC belt, and he's with top rank. So he has to mm-hmm. – well, not has to, but mostly all of his fights right now will be in Las Vegas because that's where their bubble is. And you may have another guy with, like, a WBA or WBO. He may have a belt, and he's with, you know, Al Heyman or one of those promoters, and he may be fighting in Connecticut because that's where the Showtime bubble is right now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that would be kind of tough. You will have to – I feel like you will have to almost make a special bubble for special fights. But it's crazy that you can come in here and have solutions, man. I'm seeing just so many sports leagues just not do anything and not be proactive and have solutions. And it's like, you're 17 years old and you got solutions already. And that's one thing that I always respected about you. Now, I know we strayed off a little bit, but I want to know. You you did turn pro, you know, then we got hit with a pandemic. When can, when, when is there a prospective first fight on the, on the, on the horizon, and when can we expect that? Um, you know, like I like I said, um, Showtime Boxing has recently opened up a bubble, and hopefully, I'll be able to get on a card in October with okay. uh, Javante Davis, mm. or in November with Earl Spencer, Danny Garcia. Uh, we actually, I actually got off the phone earlier with um, Sam Watson, a person who works in tight with Al Heyman, and I, I mm-hmm. talked with my promoter, Leonard Ellaby, and okay. it's in the works for either October or November. I can't wait, bro. And listen, you got as soon as you get the date before it go public, please let me know, because I need to get my plane ticket. I need to get my hotel, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there, Jaleel. Me and Rashad, so you already know. Definitely, definitely. Hey, man, Jaleel. I just want to say thank you again for, you know, coming on and just, you know, let letting us rap with you for a little bit, man. And uh, there's definitely big things on the horizon for you and definitely everybody, you know, that supports the three-man weave. We're going to make sure that we keep them on the lookout for you and keep them up to date. Um, and, you know, 
once again, definitely appreciate you. This was great. And feel free to come on anytime, man. We always uh, an open platform for you. All right. Listen, listen man, I'm going to just say this, Jaleel. I couldn't be I couldn't be more proud of man. I couldn't be more proud. Like you looked me in my eye as a youngin. You told me you was going to do this. You literally doing it. And and bro, everybody that I talked to, from Mr. Curry to Miss Cooper, like everybody that worked at that school, man. Everybody's pulling for you, man. And we like knew that you had it the whole time, man. We knew that you had it the whole time, and we just so super proud of you. So just continue to be a young king out here doing your thing, man. Uh, we looking forward for you to go pro. And like AJ said, you you are welcome back on the Three Man Weave podcast anytime, bro. Always, man. Thank y'all. Thank y'all for, you know, giving me the ability to get my name out there. And yeah, man, I, I got big news coming for y'all soon. And I'll definitely let you know as soon as I get a date. Okay, that's what's that's up. Man. So that's your little major hack at everybody. The future champ of the world. I'm, you heard it here first, man. Javante Davis, living young, got room for patience. This a dope podcast, it ain't drugs when we move in bases. Houston, we got a problem, taking off like the Rockets. This a three-man weed coming at you with topics. Get to hit me with logic, baby, showtime's back. You slow, catch up, you're on a four-nine flat. It's imperative, transitioning from changing the narrative. You can catch this wave from the Marlins to the Mariners. Doing things you can't believe. It's a three-man weed. Come at you with topics No, you cannot stop it Doing things you can't believe It's the three-man week We come at you with topics No, you cannot stop it